I thought that drama was a great tie-in to our series through the book of Galatians, talking about the reality of our sins in the eyes of a holy God and the truth of the matter that there's nothing that we can do to, to earn or, or work, our, our, work for our salvation. It's all about receiving the free gift uh, of the good news that, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he made a way for us to have all of our sins taken, forgiven, put in the past, and so that we could experience new life. That, that's, that's the heart of the gospel. That's, that's what the book of Galatians is all about, the, the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. When I was a kid back in the 1980s, there was a famous uh, commercial, Wendy's Hamburger Joint, uh, had, this, uh, had this great commercial, remember, where's the beef, right? And uh, one of the greatest all-time commercials. And uh, today, we're going to get to the heart, the beef of the book of Galatians. Uh, as we start here in chapter 3, going through chapter 4, we're going to begin to see Paul unfold his argument for the, the power of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we just saw depicted in the drama this morning. And uh, so far in our series in the book of Galatians, we've been looking at how Paul is responding to these false teachers that had come into the churches of Galatia. These churches that Paul had planted early in his ministry, uh, and, and these churches that had started out faithfully pursuing the good news, the hope that we have in the gospel, had bought into these, uh, these heretical teachings, these teachers that had come in behind Paul, they, they said that Paul didn't have true apostolic authority. They said Paul didn't really know what the true message of the gospel was. They, they began proclaiming a false gospel that said salvation is truly found by placing your faith in Jesus plus keeping all of the Old Testament Mosaic laws. So, so it was a Jesus plus kind of a salvation. It was a salvation that says faith in Christ alone is not enough. There, there's more that you have to do to earn favor with God. And as we've seen in the past weeks, anytime you hear somebody tell you Jesus plus, you know right away you're dealing with a false gospel. The, the true gospel is salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. It's a free gift of grace that God offers each and every one of us. And there's nothing we can do to, to work for it, to earn it, to buy it. We have to receive it by faith. And that's the message we're going to see this morning as we get into the heart of Paul's theological argument here in the book of Galatians. Where's the beef, friends? The beef is right here when it comes to the book of Galatians, chapters 3 and chapters 4. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Paul's unfolding argument, three stages in an incredible journey that's going to unveil for us the fullness, the beauty, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start out in chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, where Paul is going to speak to us about God's covenant with Abraham. And what we're going to see this morning is Paul's argument that through the covenant God made with Abraham, we see the fact that God had always intended salvation to come through faith alone, not of works, but it was all a gift of God's grace that we receive by faith. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to read this passage together, and then I want to come back and I want to make some observations about this passage so that we can better understand the role and necessity of faith in our walk with the Lord. So Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now this is a great passage of Scripture. And as I shared, it really is Paul's introduction to the, the meat of the book of Galatians. His theological expose, if you will, on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, what it entails, how we receive it, how we apply it to our lives. A powerful section that we're going to see in the next three weeks together. But in our passage this morning, Paul really continues his defense of the gospel by highlighting for us the centrality of faith in the Christian life. And and what we're going to see this morning is Paul describes what what a Christian is in regards to their walk of faith. Paul says, number one, he says a Christian is one who is saved by faith. A Christian is one who is saved by faith. We see this at the outset in verses 1 through 2. Paul begins our passage here in Galatians 3 by, by chastising the Galatian Christians. He says here in verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul Paul is basically asking these Galatians, How have you been so deceived? How have you been so led astray? You saw the beauty of the cross. You saw the hope that comes through the message of the gospel. And then Paul goes on, he says, Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law or by faith? By faith in the message of the gospel. The answer would have been obvious to the Galatians. We, we never received anything by keeping the law. We, we watched our Jewish brethren and our friends and neighbors who followed the ways of Judaism. They never received the Spirit by keeping the law. We never received the Spirit by keeping the law. It was only when we embraced the hope of the gospel, the, the message that salvation is found in Christ alone. It's a free gift. It was when we embraced that message by faith that we received the Holy Spirit. It didn't come by practicing works of the law. And so Paul's basically saying to these these Galatian Christians, look, how could you have been so led astray? How could you have been so bewitched by these false teachers 
to accept this message that your standing before God is based on not just your trust in Jesus, but your ongoing works in keeping the Mosaic law. You foolish Galatians. How have you been so misled, so deceived? You know the truth. Salvation is found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes by grace through faith. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. See, see, this is how the Galatians came to understand the true gospel. It's how every single one of us comes to understand the true gospel. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. See, that's why we proclaim biblical truth here on Sunday mornings at Lakes Free. That's why we preach from God's word, the Bible. Because we understand that the power of God that leads to salvation is only found in God's word. It's not found in clever rhetoric and fancy stories and and humorous illustrations. The, The real power of the gospel is found in scripture. And that's what Paul had proclaimed to the Galatians. And that's what led them to put their hope in Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what Paul says here in in verses 1 and 2. He goes on in verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? They believed what they heard. And what they heard was the message of the gospel. Friends, Paul's teaching in Galatia was not a list of rules about how to live. It wasn't a list of do's and don'ts. It was about what Christ had accomplished for us on the cross. Paul preached the cross. Paul says, you came to faith when you saw Jesus clearly portrayed as crucified. It was the message of the cross that led to their transformation. And friends, every single one of us who comes to faith in Christ, we come to faith in Christ by hearing the power of the cross. It's that message, the hope of the gospel that changes lives, that changes hearts. Friends, do you remember the first time that you saw Christ clearly portrayed as crucified? Do you remember the the time when the message of the cross first penetrated your heart? I I remember for me, it, it came when I was a sophomore in college, chaperoning a junior high youth retreat. My, my first couple of years in college, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I, I grew up as a believer. I, I, I knew the truth. I, I, I believe I was saved, but my first couple of years in college, I, I just was living life on my own terms, doing my own thing. And, and I was not really walking with the Lord. When I was a sophomore in college, a, a buddy of mine who was working at Wooddale Church with their youth group, he invited me to join them as a chaperone on this junior high youth retreat. And at the time, that was about the last thing in the world I wanted to do. But my friend basically begged me to come along. Jason, we really need your help. Just come. You know, we're going to have fun. We're going to go tubing, play some room ball. You know, you'll have a great time. And so I reluctantly went on this junior high youth retreat. And little did I know that God was going to use the speaker for a bunch of 12 and 13-year-olds to change the heart of a 20-year-old kid. See, Saturday night of that retreat, the, the speaker, he, he shared a message about Lazarus, the guy that Jesus rose from the grave. And, and he, he used the story of Lazarus to ask this question. He asked us that night, he said, are you spiritually dead, spiritually disguised, or spiritually dangerous? 
You see, when Lazarus was in the tomb, he was dead and gone. But then he came back to life. And, and when he came out of the grave, he was still in his grave clothes. And the people didn't really know, was that truly Lazarus risen? But when Lazarus' grave clothes were removed and they saw him alive, Lazarus became spiritually dangerous. And many people turned to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and the speaker talked and challenged it, all of us that many of us can, can live our lives either spiritually dead, far from God, we can be spiritually disguised where we know the truth, but we're not living the truth faithfully. Or we can live our lives spiritually dangerous, on fire for the gospel, making an impact in the world. And, and I thought to myself as I heard that message that night, I said, you know what? If I'm not spiritually dead, I'm definitely spiritually disguised. And I don't want to live my life that way anymore. I want to be spiritually dangerous. And I remember the speaker went on that night to, to share a powerful message pointing us to the cross and all that Jesus did for us by taking away our sins, removing our guilt and shame, nailing them all to the cross. And it was that image of the cross, the power of the gospel, the message that Jesus accepted me fully as I am in all my sin and all my rebellion. He took all of that. He took all my sin and shame and he nailed it to the cross. And friends, it was when I clearly saw Christ portrayed that the power of the gospel affected me. It touched my heart. It changed my life from that day forward. Paul is telling the Galatians that's where hope is found. That's where true life is found. It's found at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's a gift that comes by faith. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's a simple message and a simple response that comes by faith. Last week we saw Galatians 2.16. The Apostle Paul says, Know this, a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Remember, friends, last week we talked about that word justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous by God through Jesus Christ. God takes us as fallen, sinful, rebellious people. And when we put our faith in Jesus, he declares us righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but all because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So Paul begins his passage this morning by reminding us that a Christian is one who comes to Christ by faith. But secondly, in verses 3 through 5, Paul goes on to share with the Galatians that a Christian is one who lives by faith. The, the Christian life is not just about how the gospel saves us from our sins, but the Christian life then goes on to tell us that the gospel is what we continue to live by and grow by as we walk with the Lord. We're not only saved by the message of the gospel, but we continue to grow and mature in our relationship with Christ by faithfully applying the gospel to every area of our lives. Let's read again verse 3, if you have your Bibles open. Paul goes on in verse 3, Are you so foolish? Once again, chastising the Galatians. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Paul says you were saved by the Spirit, and now you think there's more that you need to do? You can do something to further enhance your standing with God? That's not how it works. You foolish Galatians, how did you buy into this garbage? 
This isn't the way the gospel works. See, the Galatians had been justified by faith. They had received the Holy Spirit by faith, but now they had been duped into believing that there was something more they needed to do to improve on the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. Friends, how are you going to improve on the Holy Spirit? But these Judaizers, these false teachers had told them, you had to do more. You had to prove your salvation by faithfully keeping the Mosaic law. And you know something? A lot of Christians today, I find, fall into this very same trap. And it may not be the legalistic works of Judaism, but a lot of Christians fall into this very same trap where they acknowledge, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith. I receive the gospel by faith. That's how I come to a right relationship with God. But there's something more that I need to do to help myself grow in my faith. If I'm going to grow in my relationship with Christ, if I'm going to grow in maturity as a follower of Jesus, I have to try harder. I have to do more. I have to work my way into ongoing growth. And we adopt this legalistic mindset that really is completely antithetical to gospel-based Christianity. Friends, it's not that we just come to salvation by faith in the gospel but we continue to grow in our salvation by applying the gospel to every area of our lives. How does this work? Well, let me just share you an example from my own life. And, and I do so at the risk of you guys thinking I'm, I'm nothing but a, you know, a, a wretched sinner. And, uh, and I will fully acknowledge the reality, that's really what I am. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is if you guys knew everything about me, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be here listening to me preach this morning. All right, but at the same time, if I knew everything about you, I probably wouldn't want to be hanging out with you guys either. So we're together in the same boat, right? We're, we're all equals under the foot of the cross. But, but here's the deal. One of the things I've struggled with in my life, especially in my adult life, uh, I've struggled with anger. Uh, that, that's, just, that's just one of the temptations that I easily fall victim to uh, because of my fallen sinful nature is I am quick to become angry. And you know, the world would tell us that the way to, to overcome anger is you got to learn to manage your anger, right? You got to learn to control it. You got to learn to take a time out. You, you got to go to anger management classes, right? It, it's about what we have to do to try to control or suppress our anger. But you see, the, the more I've dug into the word of God and the more I've come to understand the, the message of the gospel, the more I've come to understand that overcoming my anger is not about trying harder, it's not about me doing more or, or even, even good things, more Bible studies or more prayer or more scripture reading. It's not about me doing more to overcome my anger. It's about falling back into the loving arms of my gracious Savior. It's about leaning on the hope of the gospel. It's about resting in the good news of who I am in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. That's how I begin to overcome my anger. See, see what I've discovered is my real problem is not my anger. My real problem are the lies I believe about myself or about my circumstances that cause me to get angry, right? So for example, when it, when it comes to, to my anger, I, I tend to believe the lie that I'm not getting something I deserve. And, and, and I tend to look at my life and I think, you know what? I really deserve more than what I've got, God. You know, I, 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 I'm a faithful Christian. I'm a pastor. And, and, and Lord, you know, I deserve more blessings in my life. And I begin to believe that lie. 
And what I'm really doing there is I'm not looking to Jesus as my source of hope and joy and security and contentment. I start looking to the idols of our world as the sources of what will bring me joy and hope and security and contentment. And and then I have this tendency to believe this lie that, that God's will for my life is less than the best. You know, I look at my circumstances and I think, you know, if God really loved me, if he was really being faithful to me, you know, he, he would treat me better. I mean, the, the lot I've got in my life, I've got, I've got a hard road. And, and if God was really good and faithful and, and loved me, he wouldn't give me all these trials and challenges in my life. And again, I believe these lies. And so what I've discovered, the more I've come to understand the message of the gospel, I've come to see that anger is not really my problem. It's the lies I believe that fuel my anger. And so the question is, what's the answer to overcoming my anger? It's not trying harder. It's resting in the hope of the gospel and drawing near to the Savior who loves me. It's finding my true joy and contentment in Jesus. It's reflecting on all the riches and treasures I have in Christ. Friends, that's how we overcome any sin. It's not by doing more or trying harder. It's by getting closer to Jesus. Because the more you understand who you are in Christ, and your security in Christ, and your joy in Christ, the less the struggles and temptations of this world will be appealing or or have any impact on you because you know where your true worth and joy is found. It's found in Jesus. See, see the gospel, friends, is, is like spiritual roundup, right? In the summertime, I go around my yard, and one of my personal hobbies, I like killing dandelions. I, I don't like any dandelions in my yard. And so I go around with my bucket of roundup, and I'm spraying dandelions because I like to keep my grass nice and clean. You know what I'm saying? Some of you could care less, but that's just my deal. The gospel, though, is like that spiritual roundup, right? When I spray those dandelions, they don't die right away. It, it takes a few days. Why does it take a few days? Because they need to absorb that poison. And when they absorb that poison, it gets to the very root and kills them at their root. And that's how the gospel works with sin in our lives. That's how we grow to become more like Christ. We apply the gospel to the sin issues that we wrestle with. And as we absorb the gospel and take in the gospel and are reminded of the truths of the gospel, it gets to the very root of those sin issues in our heart. And it kills them and shrivels them up. See, you're not going to overcome sin or, or, or grow in your relationship with Christ by trying harder. You're going to do so by drawing nearer to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, in our passage this morning, Paul says a Christian is one who follows the example of faith. The example of faith. And who is the example of faith? Well, Paul points the Galatian Christians to the example of Abraham. Paul's basically saying here, look at you're following these Judaizers, these guys who want to tell you that being a faithful Christian is about believing in Jesus plus keeping all the Jewish laws. All right, you want to talk about Judaism? Let's talk about Judaism. I'm going to point you back to the father of the Jewish nation. Let's go back to the very beginning. Let's go back to Father Abraham, the guy who started it all. And how was he saved? Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. He was saved by faith, not by his works. It was by his belief, by his faith in God's promises. 
What were the promises that Abraham believed? Well, we find these promises first in in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. What we call today the Abrahamic covenant. It was a covenant that God made with Abraham. It wasn't based anything on who Abraham was or what he did. It was purely a gift of grace by God where God came to Abraham and told Abraham this, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This was God's promise to Abraham. He was going to make him into a great nation and through him, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Now, today we understand how that promise was fulfilled, right? God used the Abraham Abraham to raise up the Jewish nation. And out of the Jewish nation came the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And through the Messiah, today all people have access to a saving relationship with God. That's the promise God made to Abraham. But friends, when God made this promise to Abraham, there was one little problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah were old. All right, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. But Abraham's thinking to himself, look, I'm 99 years old. My wife's 90 years old. There's no pill that's going to cure that. So what did God do about that? Once again, God promised Abraham that his offspring would ultimately become as numerous as the stars in the sky. Look what God says in Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Friends, what did Abraham believe? He believed God's promises. There was no reason by his human standpoint and understanding to believe that these promises would come true. But he had faith. He trusted God. He believed in God, and God credited his faith as righteousness. See, understand this. Abraham didn't do anything to earn God's favor. He simply trusted and believed God's promises by faith. Now, Paul's argument here is is really genius. He's basically saying, look, not even Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, was saved by his works. And so if even Abraham wasn't saved by works, what are you doing? trying to prove your worth or earn your way to God through works. That's not how it works. And then in verse 10, Paul once again warns the Galatians of the danger of abandoning the gospel. He says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Friends, how are we under a curse? By trying to keep the law? You need to understand this. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. Now, if you're pinning your hopes on faithfully keeping all those laws as your ticket to a right relationship with God, I mean, good luck at that, right? 
This is why Paul says all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Friends, who could ever keep all these laws consistently? I mean, I can't even keep the Ten Commandments consistently. Thou shall not steal. I broke that one. Thou shall not covet. I've broken that one. Thou shall not lie. Broke that one. Right? I can't even keep the Ten Commandments, yet alone 613 laws. And so if this is God's standard for righteousness, we're all in trouble. We're doomed. We're cursed. But the good news of the gospel, the good news that saved Abraham and every other person who's ever been made right with God, is found in verse 11. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And I want you to recognize something here, friends. This statement that Paul makes, the righteous shall live by faith, what he's doing is he's actually quoting from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk here. Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. So in other words, Paul's showing these Galatian Christians that even in the Old Testament, God had declared that salvation comes through faith. People sometimes ask me, well, Jason, how were people in the Old Testament saved before Jesus Christ? You know, have you ever wondered that? How were people in the Old Testament saved? They were saved like all of us today are saved. They were saved by faith, by having faith in the promises of God. Nobody was ever saved by keeping the law or performing sacrifices or giving their money. It was always based on faith. We see this truth in Hebrews chapter 11, that great passage, often known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, tells us, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Friends, how were people in the Old Testament saved? They were saved by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses' parents. By faith, Moses. By faith, the people of Israel. By faith, the prostitute Rahab. By faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. On and on. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith. Friends, it's always been faith. People are saved by faith alone. That's God's promise from the very beginning. It's God's way of salvation from the very beginning. We are saved solely by grace through faith. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's faith alone. So I ask you this morning, what are you basing your hope in God in today? What are you looking to as your source of salvation today? See, if it's anything other than receiving the free gift of the good news of the gospel by faith, you're off course. You've detoured onto a path that leads to a dead end. Salvation only comes by receiving the gospel, the good news, by faith. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took the penalty upon himself. He nailed them to the cross. There's nothing more that we need to do but receive that message by faith. Have you received that message by faith? Let me close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that every single one of us here today would come to see more clearly the beauty of the gospel, 
that we would come to see the hope that is found in the gospel. And Lord, that we would learn to live and rely on the truth of the gospel in every area of our lives. We grow more like you. We become more like you. We mature in our faith, not as we try harder, but as we lean back on the cross of Jesus Christ and understand who we are and our security and our worth and our joy. We find it all in you, Lord. God, I know that there's probably people here this morning who are searching, who are looking for hope, who are looking for a a, a right relationship with God. And and there might be somebody here this morning who has strayed down that path of of works-based righteousness, trying to prove their worth, trying to earn their way to salvation, trying to, to do enough good deeds that somehow they might be welcomed into your heavenly presence one day. But God, you've told us very clearly, salvation doesn't come by works, it comes only by faith. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who needs to receive the good news of the gospel, that they might cry out to you in faith this morning. Like Abraham, that they might simply believe your promises, that their sins have been nailed to the cross, they have been dealt with once and for all, and your sacrificial gift, Lord, can make them new this morning if they will simply believe that by faith. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work on their heart this morning and draw them to you. And may each and every one of us, Lord, continue to look to our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning I leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Now I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably incomparably great power for all of us who believe. Amen.